0: And we live in this attention economy, and it's really increasingly important, I think, to, to pause and to breathe and just to check in and tune in with yourself and to rest in your hooga nest.
1: You're listening to Sharing Tales, the podcast which embraces and celebrates the roller coaster of life with me, Rebecca Clark. During the second series, we'll be hearing from a variety of new voices as each week my special guest joins me to generously share some of their personal stories. Life is full of highs and lows, and yet there's always hope. After all, we live to tell the tale. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Sharing Tales. This week, I'm joined by Louisa Rasmussen. Louisa is the founder of Breathe Balance B, where she specializes in helping others with issues such as stress, anxiety, sleep, and concentration. Her mission is to guide us all to a better balance in life, encouraging us to appreciate the power of our breath and understand that our own healing journeys can literally start right under our noses. Over the past four years, Louisa has been on an intensive self-care healing journey from a former severe asthmatic, stressed out corporate girl to a stage four cancer patient. She understands many of life's obstacles and she knows how to live through them and overcome them. Louisa is a breath, body, mind, level two teacher, a founding member of the Breathing Institute and a qualified professional hypnotherapist. She now transforms the lives of others who has simple and powerful techniques and unique coaching style. Having started her working life in HR at a leading global consultancy firm in London, she enjoyed an international career, whilst, as she says, she meandered down the regulatory compliance path. Around this time, Louisa started to take some very slow steps into the wellbeing space, eventually quitting corporate life completely, and going to India to train as a yoga teacher. Only a year later, Louisa was diagnosed with a life threatening disease, and her intensive, more intuitive self care healing began. She trained as a yoga nidra teacher and breath coach, and the profound relaxation was like nothing she had experienced before. Louisa hadn't realized that the basics of breathing could lead to a transformation in her health and well being. She's now passionate about breath, breathing well and its potential to allow us all to lead healthy and fulfilling lives. Louisa, welcome. I'm so pleased that you've joined me today.
0: Thank you, Rebecca. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited for our conversation today.
1: So how have you been? As we chat this morning, we're coming up to the last week or so in January, 2021, the UK remains in lockdown. How have you been finding it?
0: Well, yeah, we're in lockdown three is it now? Number three. Yeah I mean it is a little boring now (laughs) Um, you know I'm really looking forward to a bit more freedom and flexibility and seeing friends seeing my mum more frequently but you know staying safe staying healthy staying well staying cozy and hygge at home you know despite Everything going on in the world, it, I've had a pretty positive start because I had some great scam results, so I'm very grateful for that.
1: Excellent news. You mentioned Hugger, and I know you're you're half Danish. What does Hugger mean to you? Because I know that it's kind of gained in popularity, and there was that very successful book, wasn't there? What does do you actually feel that that's a part of your life, or something that you incorporate intentionally? I hope.
0: It is somewhere instilled in me. My dad was from Denmark, so you're right, I'm half Danish. My dad is from a small town just north of Copenhagen. And hygge, I think the closest translation is cozy, coziness. It's an all-year-round thing. I know it gained popularity, which is great, and I'm really pleased that everyone's (laughs) familiar with hygge. But yeah, you know, all the candles. You can have candles on all year round. (laughs) You can not just in the this time of year. My mum was from Poland, and my dad's from Denmark. And so we had a blend of cultures and environment. We always had a hygge home. Parents always made our environment a lovely hygge space.
1: Mm, that sounds very Very lovely and cosy indeed. I mean, it's funny, I've got my candle, I'm going to pronounce it incorrectly, the liquor? Luca. I've got my Luca candle burning right now. That means happiness, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, and can be lucky. Yeah, Lucas. I've seen that candle. You posted it on one of your stories. I think. Yeah, that's a lovely candle. And yeah, candles are certainly a very Scandinavian thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I have adopted that for sure. have a love of candles.
1: Me too. I always say to my husband, if you're ever not sure what to buy me, just buy me a lovely candle and I will be more than happy. <laughs> Same. Same. <laughs> So if we kind of get started a little bit on some of your your stories and just starting a little bit at the beginning, you live in London now, but you were born and brought up in Nottingham, which is a brilliant city. I used to live there for a little while myself in my early 20s. What stands out? I mean, you've already spoken about having a hugger home. Does anything else stand out for you from when you think back to kind of growing up there during the 80s, 90s? Do you know what? I think it's just
0: more recently looking back and appreciating how much Nottingham actually has. You know, it's, it's in the East Midlands. It's mm-hmm. well known for Robin
1: Hood. <laughs> I lived just off Robin Hood Lane, if I'm remembering that. <laughs> oh, did you? Right by the Victoria Leisure Centre. <laughs> oh, really? That's yeah. brilliant. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, and my dad
0: would, when we had family coming over to visit from Denmark and Poland, or any of my parents, like international friends, obviously the place to go would be to Nottingham Castle to see the Robin Hood statue. And there used to be the Tales of Robin Hood, which was like a mini museum, if you like. I'm not sure if it's still there, actually.
1: Uh Did you feel it was a a good place, like a kind of good urban? centre for to grow up with did you feel that that kind of environment suited you when you were younger or would you have preferred to be in a more rural setting
0: I'm not sure if I've ever thought about that I do now desire to have a more rural setting after many <laughs> years in London. <laughs> <laughs> I think Nottingham has quite a nice balance actually looking back and I only really appreciate that now with all the, the facilities and it actually has like the National War Sports Centre ice rink yeah Yeah, there's actually the city centres not too bad for shopping and bars and restaurants and the local area where my mum lives called West Bridgeford keeps getting better and better really
1: I mean West Bridgeford was very popular I was there literally 99 2000 and was very popular then and it's funny if I ever meet people now that are from Nottingham they do tend to have come from West Bridgeford (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's like a little uh, bubble of its own, I think. And it's just getting more bars and restaurants as well in West Bridgeford. So you don't have to go to town now if you live there, which is great.
1: And it's right on the River Trent as well, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love the water. Would love to live by the sea, perhaps one
0: day. But it's got the Grantham Canal, the River Trent. The water sports centre has a lot more water around than I really appreciated growing up, actually. And I'm still discovering now. My mum's recently moved house and trying to get creative with exploring Mm. local living, local life. And perhaps because my parents were from other countries, would spend a lot of time travelling to Poland and Denmark. But actually, there's a lot to discover just outside your own doorstep. Still discovering.
1: I mean, I think that's always the case, isn't it? That we can often neglect really exploring and delving into the areas which we live i mean i know that certainly happens in london you hear of people that live in the city and don't go to a gallery when we can of course or don't Mm. go to shows or all of these rich cultural experiences that are readily available and oftentimes when you live here you don't actually very do very much of it
0: yeah absolutely always take things for granted and yeah we're definitely looking forward for things to reopen again in london And everywhere of course.
1: You've been in London a number of years. How did you first come to London? So
0: I first came to London to live as a student, my undergrad degree. I studied law at City University in London. Mm -hmm. I suppose my love for London came thanks to my parents. We'd always have an annual trip to London. My dad was involved with various Danish entities and organizations and would have events or Danish Christmas fair or a Danish mm-hmm. summer party and perhaps just dropping into London once a year something started to ignite some more curiosity to explore London further so when when the time came to apply to go to university it wasn't a question I was like I have to be in London I don't right. care where <laughs> I, I have to go and study in London I need to explore that big city
1: okay so you found yourself at city which is based around Angel in North London did you live in halls in Islington yeah we lived in great halls I think at the time they were like the most expensive
0: halls in the UK it's just crazy but yeah we were just off city road mm-hmm. quite close to Angel and Old Street which was a great place to be and that's that's just getting better and better as well around angel yeah so yeah, that was an interesting time to live in London. I remember they were driving down, with my parents, the first day. They drove me down a couple of suitcases and a few big mm-hmm. pieces. I just cried. I was like,
1: oh no, it's
0: the right thing to do. <laughs> Like, what am I doing? Doubting it for a moment. But yeah, settled in pretty quickly, you know, made some great friends. Oh yeah, I had a lot of fun exploring the big city, big smoke.
1: Yeah. It's so funny how we can be you said before that when you were coming to applying for universities, there was no doubt in your mind. London it must be. We can feel so certain about a decision like that. And then when it comes it's actually time to take that leap. The fear can set in. Your anecdote about crying on the way down really reminded me of that. But you quickly settled in, you completed your degree. There was the plan. You said you studied law. Were you actually planning on practicing as a, as a solicitor? Or? At some point I was. I was one of those, well, I think I
0: still am, kind of go with the flow beings. I don't have a strict plan, which may be easier you know, if you just ha- made a decision, you have a plan and you go for it. I, I needed a bit more guidance, or I wasn't really maybe tuning in with myself enough to know. So it was more external influences were guiding me down like the legal route, the legal pathway. And but I knew there was something in the back of my mind was like, I'm not sure this is for me. At the time, I didn't really know what else to study. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm. And I thought, well, okay. I was advised by family, friends, and various people you know it's a good degree to have so do that and then see what happens and you can yeah. either continue or do something else
1: yeah figure it out later yeah exactly that's what i did so you did that even though and it's so easy your instinct was perhaps saying otherwise and so what happened when you then graduated what happened next
0: after graduating and getting a job at a leading global consultancy firm in london had a position in HR but after eight months or so I took a bit of a risk and decided to hand in my notice as I had the opportunity to go to New York for a year-long internship.
1: It was the internship with another consultant firm? So prior to that I had done a master's at university
0: and international business I think I went to see the careers advisor once while I was there on my master's there was just something in me that felt I had to go and live abroad for a bit mm. or work abroad you know I didn't do a course uh, at university which was a sandwich course you know a year abroad yeah, a yeah. Erasmus scheme and I always felt that was perhaps a bit of a regret not having done like maybe law in a language or, or just a language. yeah yeah I had to get this out of my system I was like <laughs> I'm not sure how And then I hadn't heard of this internship program called the Mountbatten Internship Program, where you spend a year in New York and you work as an intern and you study as well, part time. So I applied for that. And yeah, and I got a place. So I was like, great, here we go. (laughs)
1: New York City. New York, here I come. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What time period are we talking about? So I can picture you in New York at this point point in your life so that was
0: September 2006
1: okay so mid noughties yeah it feels like coming up to the end of a sex in the city era if my memory serves correctly
0: <laughs> definitely a fan of sex in the city <laughs> me too yeah like I just felt despite being out of university perhaps a couple of years it felt like you know there's a group of us around 100 interns mainly mm-hmm. from the UK other parts of Europe and India and some other parts of the world as well and they have three interns. At that time, it's I think it's changed a bit now. But there are people coming in September, March, and some other time joining in September. I think it made it feel a bit like being at uni, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In New York, we certainly made the most of it. It felt like Freshers' Week for almost an entire year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How much working was or interning was actually being done?
0: (laughs) We we were working nine till five, Monday to Friday. Well, actually, perhaps longer hours for some. We were working. (laughs) There were a lot of large global companies taking on. Mm -hmm. interns from the programme. So some of us had pretty serious jobs.
1: (laughs) Well, I guess it's the working hard and playing hard that many people experience particularly in their early and mid-twenties and perhaps longer yeah. were you kind of all boarding or you know flat sharing together as part of the program yeah we were room room sharing
0: as well so I hadn't done that before wow. there were three in my first room three interns oh and uh, we'd never met each other before
1: because I think that's very American isn't it so I remember whenever I've seen American films or series or whatever and you see them go to university and they share rooms that's culturally very different for us in the UK which that just wouldn't it wouldn't really happen.
0: Yeah. I was very grateful. I had some lovely roommates and I'm still friends uh, with them today. There were four blocks of flats. So we were kind of split between these floor blocks in the different buildings. And that was near Hoboken, so just across the Hudson River, Jersey, Newport, Pavonia. Yeah, we were to get the, the PATH train into Manhattan mm-hmm. every day to go to work on, uh, I think it was 53rd and Park. Midtown. So just a few blocks up was Bloomingdale's Central Park, not too far away. It was great.
1: It's such a special city. Anyone who knows me knows that New York has stole a piece of my heart a very long time ago. And I'm a little bit jealous because around the time you were there... I was proactively trying to get work there too. I was over there in 2005, specifically job hunting, trying to work with the UN at the time. And it wasn't meant to be, but I love being in the city. I love the energy of the place. Mm -hmm. It's very different to... London even though they're both major yeah. urban scenes so from that year there what did you find that you learned the most from it or that you got out of that experience? Do you know what I think it
0: made me more confident Well, mm-hmm. it's such a magical mm-hmm. place it does have this special magical energy that I can't even describe. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh... It really does I mean I always used to say it. when I'm when I'm there I feel like I sparkle more like I just feel mm. if you love it because it's not for everyone but if you do I think there's definitely magic's the word that can rub off on you and yeah, I almost feel like a different person when you're there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just walking down the streets, down this, it's such an easy place to go walking around as well, you know, which I love. And it just, it's this buzz. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's the secret sauce, isn't it? Yeah, it's a special place. So grateful to have had that opportunity to have the year there working, but also sort of feeling a bit like a student with, you know, a hundred fellow interns having yeah. a good time every weekend.
1: <laughs> it sounds like it. And I'm wishing I'd heard about this Mountbatten Batten internship program now you mentioned it's it. still on it's
0: changed since I was there definitely want to look into if anyone's interested in a year in New York
1: yeah what a brilliant opportunity and oh looking forward to the days we can return and do all the things we love doing there yeah absolutely and love- my boyfriend and I went
0: back November 2019 we were just there over a weekend to feel the New York feelings again the New mm. York vibes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was great let's hope we can go again soon
1: I hope so. I was speaking to someone in New York on Friday and she was telling me how she was going to ice skate on a rooftop that evening. I was like, please, oh, wow. don't, please don't tell <laughs> me not tell Only in things. New York. <laughs> <laughs> when we have to just stay in at home at the minute. Wow, I've not heard of ice skating on the rooftops. That's cool. I hope it's all waiting for us sometime not too far away. I wanted to change tracks slightly and move on to the second chapter that you wanted to talk about. And you wanted to share the experience of losing your dad
0: yeah so it's a heavier topic much heavier my dad had actually been diagnosed with cancer before i went to new york for the year Mm -hmm. i had deferred my trip to new york because of his diagnosis and well initially thought i might never get to go to new york and we didn't know how it was going to go with my dad's health and things sort of stabilized and we felt comfortable enough for me to go to new york for the year Mm -hmm. and i I did come back a few times and my parents came out to visit me but during that year in new york he i knew that he was living with cancer and he continued for many years He, he lived with it for eight years had various operations in that time and then in december 2013 Mm-hmm. He passed away very peacefully at home and we were all with him, watching him take his last breath. We were there for his last breath and, whew, yeah, it, well, I get a bit emotional talking about it. Now. I'm sure, I'm sure you do. Seven years that he's not been here physically. Mm. I think the fact he lived so well with it for eight years... Mm. this year will be eight years and it's amazing how much parents teach you your whole lives and then once they've gone you're still learning from Mm. them and of course their death and passing and then that just opens up a whole like whoa what the hell is life about and the process of grief I've heard people say it's grief is the price that you pay for love Mm -hmm. I was definitely a daddy's girl 100% Mm. super close you know to my dad daddy's girl and so yeah that was just heartbreaking. And a bit of a wake-up call. need a few wake-up calls in my life to, to remind myself to come back to what's really important and back to myself.
1: So in the aftermath of your father passing away and while you were going through the grieving process, do you think it was around this time that you started to take those tentative early steps towards exploring your well-being journey?
0: Absolutely. I think I started to take those slow steps into exploring yoga in a bit more depth as I was juggling the job in the city and going to Nottingham every weekend to help my mum, sorting out my dad's affairs and bits and pieces i'd go to a yoga class at least once a week and i just remember lying in shavasana at the end of a yoga class for like a minute or two and that being the moment of peace and Mm. bliss and calm and Mm. again something at the back of my mind i need to explore that a bit more i need i need more moments Mm -hmm. like that because i was certainly experiencing signs and symptoms of anxiety stress burnout Mm -hmm. but just kept going just mm-hmm. kept going, hoping, you know, one day things things will get better. And I can't remember exactly when the moment came that enough was enough. I was in the city mm-hmm. one day and I thought, I think I just have to quit. I just have to quit, quit the corporate life, quit London and perhaps just go somewhere else, do something mm-hmm. else. And I did. I handed in my notice. I remember walking down, I think it's London Wall, mm-hmm. and actually looking up at the sky and looking up at the rooftops of the buildings, which I don't think I'd ever done before. Mm. <laughs> or if I had I hadn't done it enough, and just immediately felt a sense of relief, of freedom, mm. and yeah, slowly started to get myself ready to to leave London and move to Nottingham to be with my mum, just temporarily. wasn't again going with the flow of life, seeing what happens, but this time seriously taking the time to figure out what it is that I want to do and go to India and train as a yoga teacher so by quitting completely I had the freedom and the flexibility to do that and in March of 2016 mm-hmm. I, think it was, I knew I wanted to go to India I'd never visited India before mm-hmm. and I knew I wanted to be by the sea <laughs> so I found a school a yoga school in um, Goa in the south of Goa a little village called Agonda I stopped off in Mumbai on the way to see my friend from school, Catherine, who is a yoga teacher as well. And she was living in Mumbai. Mm. So I said hello to her and then went on to Goa for almost two months, I think. just under two months.
1: And how did you find that? I'm just picturing you, as you said, walking down London Wall and going from this very busy, stressful corporate life to suddenly finding yourself with the word expansions coming to mind, you know, as I kind of think of you having this expansive view on the beach in Goa and providing yourself the space to perhaps rest and really immerse yourself in your practice would you say that was a transformative time for you yeah sometimes
0: i feel like transformations can be quite subtle or you don't appreciate them mm. until later you know but going to I suppose moving to london you know, first doing my undergraduate degree here. So moving to the unknown, to a bigger place and then New York City another like Mm. the big apple and then going to India somewhere I'd never visited before, traveling Mm. alone. There's obviously something, I've got some, there's something within me that's a bit daredevil. And I think I i have got that from my dad. I don't know.
1: Well, I imagine landing in Mumbai for the first time is quite the experience.
0: Mm, yeah. I mean, the sounds, the sensors are just bombarded. Mm. The beeping. I think I can still hear the, the tuk-tuks. <laughs> <beeping>. <laughs> Non-stop. It's brilliant. Absolutely manic like completely chaotic but i may perhaps because my friend katherine was there to greet me i remember she had a little sign saying my name <laughs> welcome and it was so so sweet and she'd lived there for for quite a few years yeah so that put me at ease quite quickly and then traveling on to goa where i didn't know anyone
1: hmm.
0: there were around 50 yogis from around the world and it was an ashtanga vinyasa so it was quite
1: hardcore yoga yeah, like, full-on <laughs>
0: It's a full-on, you know, I think we start at like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. to meditate and do some breathing or pranayama, yogic breathing, and then it's full-on Ashtanga Vinyasa style classes and anatomy and mm-hmm. yogic philosophy, and it's hard work. It's an intense 200-hour training.
1: Intense was the word that came to mind for me. I'm more of a restorative yoga kind of person. If oh, me right. too now, 100%. <laughs> Well, Yoga Nidra. So from there, like that was
0: the start of the well-being journey for sure. Yeah, I was trying to get out of the corporate world, not quite sure exactly what that meant and how that was going to look. But I knew that there was something in that one minute of stillness in Mm -hmm. Shavasana. But again, it was coming like in such small, gradual steps. I still wasn't listening to the stillness that I might actually have needed more of.
1: Because some people might go to India to train in that way with a really clear plan in mind. Like I'm going to go and do my 200 hours training and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to set up my yoga studio. I'm going to start teaching classes. Were you in that place when you were in India? Did you have a plan for what was next?
0: No. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm really not a great planner at all. Part of me also worries a little because if I do make a plan then something happens and Mm -hmm. takes me down a different path I knew that when I'd finished my yoga training in India I would then go back to Nottingham Mm -hmm. and see what happens and and try and teach some classes back in Nottingham which I did I just taught a few you know just in local community centres and in a room above a pub Mm -hmm. in Nottingham I was teaching in my mum's garden (laughs) doing little bits here and there but still figuring out what exactly my new path was going to look like Mm -hmm. still opened to possibilities of course I was hoping to find a partner years and years and years ago in London you know living London life and it wasn't until I I quit I quit London quit everything did I meet a guy that actually wanted to hang around and stay with me
1: and that you wanted to hang around and stay with too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah I couldn't believe it you hear
1: the stories it's when you stop looking yeah that's
0: when you find that's the person when you find the one yeah and that is literally how it happened as well like just before leaving London it was my last tinder date I thought <laughs> this is it is there any point going actually I almost yeah. cancelled I was with a friend in the day and thought oh shall I bother what's the point I'm leaving I'm going to Nottingham She was like no no you better go just in case
1: oh <gasps> A real sliding doors (laughs) moment, Louisa. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah,
0: I went and five years later, we're together with... Been through a lot already. Still going strong. And so despite leaving London, thinking that was it, um, after after India, I went back to Nottingham. And then after one year's long distance relationship with my partner James in London, we decided that I'd move in with him. So Mm -hmm. I came back to London.
1: (laughs) And there you still are together, very happily living down in South London.
0: Yes having a hygge time together.
1: (laughs) We do have one more chapter that you would like to talk about, and it's a a big one, and another heavy one to some extent too, or to a large extent. I'll leave you to to talk about this in your own way.
0: Try not to make it too heavy, but yeah, the third chapter, one of the most recent, biggest chapters of my life, was being diagnosed with stage 4 incurable breast cancer in April 2017. So I'd moved in with my boyfriend James in January 2017. I was back in London. I looked for just a contracting job. You know, I was still like hoping that I could work part-time in the city and then explore the wellness space mm-hmm. or teach some yoga classes part-time or teach yoga in the city. So I thought I'll just take a temporary sort of contracting role so that I could still explore mm. those steps into the wellness space and in then in april 2017 all of that stopped everything stopped it felt like the world had stopped when i got the diagnosis and was told treatment had to start very quickly i had multiple tumors in the liver and time was of the essence it was kind of the the message from the oncologist so I had six cycles of a combination chemotherapy, and that is actually when the intensive self-care healing journey started. Intuitively, overnight after the diagnosis, something told me to to detox, to go vegan, mm-hmm. and to start meditating like I'd never meditated before, mm. like my life depended on it, mm. essentially, and to get my mind in control of something. And I found yoga nidra during chemotherapy. When I was sofa bound, I couldn't move. Chemo fatigue is on another level. Mm. And it was the one thing that really helped me to relax and find calm. You know, there's two two minutes in shavasana at the end of a a yoga class. It's 20 minutes of shavasana, if you like. It's a guided relaxation, a a profound state of relaxation, meditation.
1: So with yoga nidra, you don't, it's not poses as such, It's is it a stillness? How do you describe yoga nidra? So yoga nidra
0: really simply is like the sleep of the yogis. Mm-hmm. You're just lying down, there are no poses. The pose is shavasana pose, you know, you can have a bolster underneath the knees, you can have a blanket, pillows, eye cushion or eye pillow. You can create your own hugger nest mm. Nidra. So it's super restorative. Mm -hmm. So ideal for, well, for many different times. Please don't wait till anything as traumatic as that. I would encourage people to have time out and make time for rest, Mm -hmm. which I never really did stop to do enough of
1: Mm -hmm. in the
0: past. So it was a real profound state of stillness and silence and allowed my body, I think, the space to start the healing process. Mm -hmm. And after... The, the weekend that my chemo finished in September, I studied and qualified as a yoga nidra teacher mm. and a whole weekend of nidras. I felt like I flew out of the Buddhist center in Bermondsey. I felt incredible, <laughs> blissful, amazing. My nurse was like, huh? So that rest was
1: powerful Mm. as you were speaking then I was thinking you were able to see pretty quickly the impact this self-care this self-nurturing these practices could have on you I'm really fascinated to hear more about how the breath work part of your healing came about because I think it's so and you've said this to me before it's so obvious you know it's in essential for us to live. And yet we don't think about our breath very often at all. Mm. Yeah. And I
0: haven't mentioned, you know, I was a former severe asthmatic growing up as a child. Mm. So I was breathless Mm -hmm. for many years. Mm. I was a mouth breather. Serial mouth breather for many years. No one had ever taught me the basics of good breathing, Mm. or just the basics of breathing that we're born with. So when we look at babies, babies are like our breathing gurus. They're breathing through the nose. They're breathing from the belly. See, the belly stick out, and it's soft and gentle. You can't hear their breathing. And then we develop and life our lifestyles and everything. We develop all these habits, bad breathing habits. And it was during the yoga nidra training that I met. One of my breathing teachers, Ben Wolfe, who introduced me to a particular breathing practice, which is commonly known as coherent breathing, as coined by a guy in the States called Stephen Elliott. And I call it balanced breathing because it Mm -hmm. is simply an even inhale and an even exhale. So breathing through the nose, breathing slowly and evenly and breathing from the belly. I think I spent many years trying to suck the belly in to have a nice flat. Yeah, stomach and perhaps years ago I don't know now but I could have been a paradoxical breather so to breathe well when you inhale the belly rises but I think there might have been a time in my life when it was doing it the other way right. so the belly goes in which is the wrong way and you can you know reset that
1: well because as kids we're told to like breathe in aren't we it's almost like this we're encouraged to pull our tummies in as we breathe mm-hmm. in and then breathe mm-hmm. out so I remember through singing, training, learning that, well, no, that's all wrong. <laughs> it needs to be
0: the other way around. Well, something else I learned re- recently, which is Pavarotti. He used to have a handkerchief in his fist, mm. and he used to hold it during his performances. But it, as it turns out, when we have our hands in a fist, a gentle fist shape, this also helps us to breathe more diaphragmatically and from the belly. Hmm. So, I wonder whether Pavarotti did that yeah. to help with his possibly, so yeah, breathing something that perhaps I could have taken more seriously growing up because I grew up with a nebulizer in my room I had multiple asthma attacks inhalers steroids all of that it would be like a tradition to have a chest infection once a year it was just like when was it going to come never would I put it down to the fact that it could have been because I was a mouth breather so the studies show that mouth breathers are more susceptible to colds flus chest infections okay and I would have that standard Mm. and so when I started going back to the basics of breathing Mm. so relearning Mm-hmm. resetting my own breathing so breathing through the nose breathing slowly and evenly and breathing from the belly again things started to change I think and I felt like the way I could deal with stressful situations was becoming a little easier And of course it's a practice you have to ideally practice 20 minutes a day of balanced breathing and breathing in for a count of six and breathing out for a count of six. So slowing down the breath. Mm. So what I didn't realize was how much the breath is linked to how we feel, Mm -hmm. how we think. So, you know, having anxiety and stress and asthma, I would have been breathing a lot from the upper chest. I would have been breathing very quickly, whereas I needed to shift the breath to the belly and also slow it down Mm. to soothe the nervous system. You know, the lungs are sending messages to the brain. We've got calming receptors at the lower lungs. So when we're breathing from the belly, we're stimulating those calming receptors. All these little things and everything that's within us, so we don't have to buy anything. Mm-hmm. Simply improving the way that we breathe, taking time every day to do a little bit of breathing and being conscious and aware of our breath so simple and so powerful. It has been so transformative, just breathing properly, mm-hmm. breathing well. I was asthmatic. How did I not take it mm-hmm. more seriously? Then it took, you know, cancer diagnosis to step that up mm-hmm. and take, it, take my breath. Seriously, and pay
1: attention. You said before that shortly after or immediately after your diagnosis, your intuition was speaking to you loud and clearly about some of the things that you needed to do. And so, on this path of healing, where you've taken the reins, where are you now in your healing journey?
0: So, I can't believe it's coming up to four years since the diagnosis. And mm. I'm very grateful to be doing very, very well. Mm-hmm. My scans have been clear, stable for a couple of years now. I'm still on treatment. Which is incredible. Yeah, I can't believe it. Like, I, I don't feel like a cancer patient mm. at all. I get the reminder when I either get a letter or a text from the hospital or when I go and get my blood done or, and the big one is when I have a scan. Mm. That's the biggest reminder. So I had my recent scan a few weeks ago. So despite feeling well, you still don't know. Like, I'm definitely more aware now than I was in the past. I thought I was fairly in tune and you know in yoga classes you say listen to your body and mm-hmm. but I think there is so much we don't know I think there's a lot of stillness required to listen to your body
1: because our minds are, are so active for a lot of people and it can be hard to cut through that noise can't it to, to have that time to listen to have the stillness as mm-hmm. you say absolutely and I think perhaps that's where my intuition said you've got to get your meditation
0: mm-hmm. game on when I was diagnosed because that felt Although it felt like everything had stopped, I was about to enter the cancer world again from a different perspective. I mean, the hospital NHS have, has been great. Everything's gone very smoothly, but it can be quite a chaotic chapter of your life mm. uh, if you're diagnosed and again, going back to that stillness, there are lots of distractions anyway, right? They're going on in the world all the time. Mm. It's always things happening. But if you can have some control in your mind, which you can because it's your mind, you can control <laughs> Mm. But it's a practice. It's like if you go to the gym or and you work out your bicep or your tricep or whatever and you you use a particular piece of equipment and you have to repeat it every day. Mm. You have to repeat. And if you stop going to the gym and working out that particular muscle, you'll notice the changes. And it's the same with the breathing practice, which is connected to neurons in the brain. And we just have to practice every day to strengthen you know, our neural pathways and our mind muscles. Because
1: mm. we can forget we have a choice, can't we? We can forget... We we have so little control, and I was only having this conversation for myself this morning, so little control over many things in our lives. But one of the things we do have control over is how we respond or how we choose to feel about these things. And I think your work with Breathed Balance B and all of these wonderful tools and, and through your training and your qualifications that you're now bringing to the world, it feels really timely because the fact that we're sitting here talking about meditation, people in the mainstream know what that is now it's starting to become much more commonplace for people to have a practice or to be trying these things for people to be talking about the power of breath how on earth have we not known about this before and so I think it's really exciting that you're you're doing this and, and helping your clients and your community in the way that you are at this time and with everything that's going on it's certainly support that's needed more than ever
0: yeah i hope so i hope that i can help more people now i've gradually been building up my toolbox over the years and mm. you know finding things that work and if they work for one person that's great hopefully they'll help they've helped me a lot and it does come back to really simple powerful effective techniques that are safe natural Mm. they're all within you and it does all start with our breath
1: powerful and exciting work exciting in the fact that as you say once you know once you have learned these techniques or you've explored them a little bit you don't need to buy equipment you don't need to go to the gym you can really self soothe and support Mm. yourself in that way
0: Yeah, we can really nourish our inner world in a really simple and easy way. And my dad used to always say, keep it simple. (laughs) Coming back to that as well, like, what if it was simple? I can't remember who the quotes by. it's easier to complicate than to simplify. Mm. You can see that if you just look at the external world and the the chaos, the distractions, and we live in this attention economy. And it's really increasingly important, I think, to, to pause and to breathe, and just to check in and tune in with your... Yourself and to rest in your hooga nest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're almost coming to the end of our time together. Keep it simple is a mantra that I can certainly buy into. What is your mantra? for modern living louisa i almost said it just then and before
0: i tell you my little mantra there is a quote that i remember really helped me in case anyone else is going through a challenging time mm-hmm. there's a quote by john kabat zinn and he says as long as you are breathing there is more right with you than wrong with you <laughs> (laughs) yeah my mantra for modern living is breathe pause and prioritize Mm -hmm. ask yourself what next and what's best
1: Mm -hmm. making the most of the stillness to find the answers
0: absolutely there's so much so much sacredness and stillness and magic and stillness it's okay to be still
1: So with that, I want to say thank you, Louisa. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. And thank you for being here with me. Thank you, Rebecca. It's been an absolute pleasure. I uh, wish you lots of wellness. And to you too. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Sharing Tales. Make sure to visit our website, www.rebeccaclark.co.uk, forward slash sharing tales where you can subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. While there, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, we'd really appreciate a review and a rating to help other people find this show. If you'd like to tell your friends and family, that would be amazing too. Big thanks to our sound producer and editor, the wonderful Erin Maguire at Beyond Golia Productions. Be sure to tune in next Monday for a new episode. Bye-bye for now.